Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Come on, come on, give God your best, everybody. Give God your best. What an incredible song about the love of Jesus for you and the love of Jesus for me. I'm so glad that you're here as you're, as you're taking your seat. I'm so glad to be with you in spirit. I'm with you kind of in spirit, even though I might just be on the screen today, but I'm with you in spirit. Look, you don't get mad at Jesus because Jesus isn't here either, but the Holy Spirit is. And uh, you didn't come to see us anyways. You came to experience the love of Jesus. I have a terrific sermon that the Holy Spirit has given me for you. So I know that you're different than the person sitting beside you, but I also know that the same Holy Spirit can give you exactly what you need in the sermon and give you exactly what you need in the sermon. And so turn to your neighbor, and this is the title of my sermon. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's heavy. heavy. Do it again. It's heavy. heavy. Not you're heavy. (laughs) It's It's heavy. Is heavy. We're talking about wonder. The world, your world is as big or as small as your wonder. In fact, your life is as big as your sense of wonder or as small as your sense of wonder. We, we spend our entire lives trying to figure everything out, but I don't think that that's the, the best way to live. I think if you would live with more wonder in your life, then God could, be, could do things in your life that you could never do. In your life, God could fix your relationships. God could get you healthy. God could, could bring resources into your life so that you could be generous like you want to be. But first, we have to reestablish wonder. I'm going to be going through four stages of relationship today that have to do with, with wonder. With wonder. Um, my, um, my dad is preaching in the next couple of weeks on forgiveness. Now look, everybody here, we didn't understand forgiveness. We weren't taught forgiveness the way that Jesus would teach it to you through the scriptures. And uh, my dad has the best teaching on forgiveness that I've ever heard. Uh, His teaching on forgiveness has kept me on track, kept my heart okay when I had nothing but time and nothing but reason to be bitter about things in my life. And when I forgive and when I let go before the other person apologizes, it's so powerful. It's It's a weapon that God gives you. It's the greatest weapon that there ever is. Jesus on a cross says, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. I'm going to forgive them before they even ask for it. And unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, y'all. And so I want you to come back the next couple of weeks. My, my dad is going to be preaching, and it's going to be really, really, really incredible. Something to build your life in and around and build your family in and around. The heavier your wonder is, the lighter your burden. The heavier uh, your wonder is, the lighter is your burden. There's four steps of relationships and four steps of your relationship with God or even if you, you uh, join a, a company or change your job or you go to a different school or you have a different classroom. There's, there's kind of four stages of relationships that I've been thinking about this week. I'm going to be going through the life of Peter and his relationship with Jesus eventually and your relationship with Jesus eventually. You might come here, you might be far from God. This might all be new to you. You're just exploring faith. Well, the first stage of relationship is exploration. I think we're just going to put these on the screen for you right now, just exploration. The next stage is expectation. The third stage is exchange. And then the fourth stage of maturity is something I call establish. Or in, in our cases, reestablish. So let's talk about uh, the first stage of exploration. When I first met Pastor Aaron, 
who's awesome. My wife, and she's hot. Shoot. When I first, when I, I didn't meet her first, I talked to her on the phone. And so I remember in our first conversation, it was an exploration conversation. You walk into a classroom for the first time, you know, you walk into a new job for the first time, and it's like an exploration. There's a sense of awe and wonder about what happens here, and you don't know who gets to do what to who, and you don't know where you fit and they fit, and if they're going to like you or if you're going to like them. And I talked to uh, Aaron on the phone, um, and she was putting together a band for something, a worship band at the UFC campus for something, and I remember her talking about the bass player that we had lined up. Now, she was technically in charge until week two, and then I was in technically in charge because that's just my problem. I just kind of end in, and I'm like, you could use some help. Why don't you just let me do it? And that's kind of my jam. So Erin um, is a great collector of people, and so she collects people wherever she goes. But then she was also driving everybody around, and Erin gets a little bit distracted, and I love her, and she's lovely, but she just need a little bit of help from Corey. She's talking on the phone. I remember our first conversation. She's putting this together, and, and there was a bass player named Saul. And I remember how she put um, the state of how well he could play the bass guitar. There are some, when you're putting together a worship band, there are people who can play, and then there are people who love Jesus. <laughs> how are they? They love Jesus. That means they can't play very well. And so uh, Aaron says, I said, how, 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 his name was Saul. Saul, uh, how is Saul at playing bass? And she goes, I'm not sure. And then she says, I still remember this. And I remember thinking to myself, how clever is this girl? She said, I'm not sure what kind of shape Saul is in when he plays bass. Like, I don't know what kind of uh, shape he's in. Meaning he's not in good shape to play bass. He's not that good, but she said it in a way that was so clever and was like not trying to pull him down or anything. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, maybe Saul's not quite in shape. We might have to get Saul in shape to play. Um, So that was really when I ended up kind of taking this thing over. uh, Pastor Aaron, I had to get Saul in shape because he wasn't a good bass player because he is kind of tone deaf. And so what would happen, we would be playing, we played one time in Vancouver, and there was hundreds and hundreds of like university students, and we're playing there, and I would turn around and be yelling, Saul, we're in the key of A. We're not playing in whatever you're playing in, Saul. Aaron was right. He wasn't in shape to play. I just remember in the exploration of our relationship that first month, we were getting to know each other, and the kind of the, the, the awe and wonder of it all. She invited me over. She said, my, my cousin is going to the UFC. Why don't you come over? And I'll make you a meal. And I'm like, yes, before the make the meal part was over. Like, come over and I'll make you a yes. Food, yes. I will eat with a violence gang if you make me free food. Like, yes. The answer is always yes. And so I went over and she made, um, have you all had Pastor Aaron's cranberry chicken? Yeah. You'd marry her too. I get it. It's okay. No, it's okay incredible this meal and then this blueberry cobbler I haven't seen the blueberry cobbler since but um she's she's more of the meat and potatoes gal but I you know I like good cooking so I could live without the baking sometimes but so so there's this exploration time I remember eating this food and being 23 years old thinking girls like single ladies if I can just I know you're all into like job sharing and stuff like that but if you want a man learn how to cook We're not that complicated, guys. We either want to make out or we're hungry. That's it. 
Or sometimes we want to make out and we're hungry. Not complicated. God has blessed you in that we're so simple. Such simple creatures. And I'm like, look. And so I'm like, I'm hungry and I'm eating. And I'm like, I'm going to have to eat a lot of meals for the rest of my life. And this girl can cook. It matters, single ladies. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the... It matters. Like, if you just... I'm just saying, it matters. I'm teaching... My girls have to learn how to cook. I'm like, anyways. That's just a thing. It's just a thing. You can hate me if you want to. There was this exploration of that. She saw something in me that it was this exploring, like... Uh, her dad's a great guy, but he just he wasn't around, and I'm like his dead opposite in the world. She saw something in me that there was a sense of wonder when you meet this other person. and A sense of wonder. We, we were offloading music equipment in Calgary on the UFC campus, I because I'm a rule breaker, everybody. I just drove my, it was raining, I just drove my Jeep right down campus, walking past, dun, dun, engineering students, come on, get out of the way, guys. I just <laughs> drove my vehicle right up, backed it up, it's raining, I'm in a great mood, I'm playing... Dolores O'Rourke Cranberries, the song Zombie, all about the Irish. In your head. And I'm in a terrific mood. And it's all about like the Irish Revolution. And I'm like, yeah. And Aaron fell in love with me that night because I was on point, everybody. I drank a Dr. Pepper that night and actually shared it with her, which I have not done since. Because food is not for sharing, y'all. It's not. If you're a guy, we're simple. Just keep it simple. There was this, this exploration of our relationship. And then what happens is it eventually moves into this expectation. We're, gonna talk, we're talking on the phone and then the sense of the, 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 the weight of wonder where it starts eventually gives way to a weight of expectation. So you know when you're expecting a child, there's this like wonderful like, oh my goodness, I wonder what they look like and I wonder what they... And then there's this expectation. I wonder if I'm going to be a good mom. I got this new job. I wonder if it's going to work out. I wonder if I'm going to be what they're looking for. I wonder if I'm going to get along with the kids in my class. This expectation starts coming. We're going to get married. And I'm talking to Aaron on the phone. And I'm like having that conversation. And I said, so I think that God wants us to get married. That's what I'm saying. And then, and then Aaron doesn't say anything for three full minutes straight. Y'all don't know. I'm like, hello. I just said a big thing. And she says, she says, oh, I thought I answered. You would think after all the years we've been together, just about two decades, everybody, by the grace of God, you would think, you would think, that she would get it like, when I ask a question, I want an answer now. And no, you didn't say it. It was just in your head. You have to use your mouth. You have to use your words, Aaron. The sense of expectation comes on you, though. So, so then what happens is we, my dad sat us down. And he's like, look, kids, uh, you need to build a house. It's just a good time. Why don't you build a house before you get married so you have some place to live in when you do get married? And so... Uh, building a house at that time, it was the perfect advice for us. And so, so we built a house. We got into the market right at the right time, and we built a house. And, and uh, Aaron, when I married Aaron, she had $10,000 in the bank. Guys, like it's not everything, but it helps. 
she had $10,000 in the bank. And so we're like, well, I still owed a bit of money on this red Jeep that she fell in love with me. Best uh, 12,000 bucks I ever spent. And I still owed some money on this. And, um, and so we were going to just consolidate some of our things, have one bank account. And we were doing this before we got married. Now we weren't living together, but we were just doing this because we had to like work out bank loans and stuff so that I could build the house so we had some place to move into. And so I remember this phone call I got from her mom. It was a very concerned phone call that, that was like this. So Corey, um, now I come from a stable marriage. And so in my mind, marriages stay together, right? Aaron's mom, she had a different story and they got divorced a long time ago. And her approach is a little bit different. And she says to me, so Corey, like if this doesn't work out, and in my mind, everybody, you got to know, like, I'm a winner. I have no place to put losing. Like I don't, if, what do you mean if it works out? It's going to work out. We're going to work it out. I'm missing my workout, but it worked out. You know, I'm like, well, no, we're going to work it out. You know, I have no place to put this. So she's having this very serious conversation. And I'm starting to realize the sense of expectation on this thing. She's like, well, you don't want to. And I still remember this words. You don't want to be, and I love my mother-in-law, you don't want to be like stuck in a, in a, a canoe with just one paddle with this whole house expense. And I'm like, what? This sense of expectation. Now, I have to work. Before, I didn't have to work all the time. Now I have to work. I, we got a house, and we got a yard, and we got to set it up. And, and then the expectation as you start, as, as, I, as Aaron, we get pregnant with, uh, not we, it was mostly her, but we, that's how millennials, like, it's all shared. No, that wasn't really shared. That was more her. And so we, we get pregnant with Arwen. And I remember driving home one day from work thinking to myself, I will work three jobs. I will work 10 jobs if I have to support this child. The sense of expectation. It goes from this exploration to a sense of expectation to the weight of like, we better get this thing right. And then, and then give it some time. And then there's this sense of exchange. This is a funny thing. I'm, I'm stealing this idea from Andy Stanley, actually. He, he says, when you get married or even when you get a new job, I think you... You give the other person your box of dreams and you put it down by them and they do the same thing to you. And then uh, some months go by or some years and then we look over at the box of dreams and we're like, right, but you haven't been working on this. It still looks the same way as it did when I handed it to you. And they look over, they're like, but you haven't been working on my box of dreams. And um, if, if you've been married a while, if you've been in, in any sort of a relationship for a while or working a certain job for a while, there's this funny thing that happens in an exchange where you start thinking, are you ready? You start thinking that you're bringing more to the equation than they're bringing to the equation. So you start thinking that I'm bringing more to her than I think she's bringing to me. But see, uh, fulfilling your dreams was never really part of their deal. They married you so that you could fulfill their dreams. (laughs) And your dreams really only had to do about you because you were young. And so you're exploring in this sense of wonder. Then the expectation comes. And then there's this bitterness that starts creeping in. And this familiarity, which can breed contempt. You've been working there for so long, you start thinking, well, this company can't go on without me. Everybody who has ever said that normally loses their job that year. And they find out that the company absolutely can go on without you. And they do. And they replace you with literally anybody. (laughs) And you find that all your friends were just work friends. And, And we do this exchange where... 
we start getting a little hard of heart. We start losing our wonder of the other person and we're starting to get jaded because we're like, how come you don't feel that sense of wonder towards me? We're not asking is, how could I regain my sense of wonder about you? About this job. I mean, there was a time you were just glad to have a job. There was a time you were just glad to have a man, ladies. And now it's like, well, now, yeah, like he's okay, but there's all these things that he's not. He doesn't write me poems every day. Well, that's because you're not dating anymore. The fish is in the boat. I don't have to wear deodorant anymore. It's just like, we're married. I miss my workout, but it worked out. And I stopped working out because we're married now, everybody. I stopped cooking good meals because we're married. You got to eat macaroni now. You got to eat popcorn for dinner. And we get, in, <laughs> we get into this place, but see, honor and wonder are kind of a space between you. And when you lose the honor and the wonder and you start getting bitter and you start wondering what they're up to, and this thing starts happening where an exchange place takes place until, and most relationships are lost here, most jobs are lost here, careers, most relationships with teenagers are lost in this middle space here. Because we let the bitterness overtake us and then we get hard of heart. And then everything the other person does, sooner or later, nothing they do is right. Yeah. And, and we're starting to, God puts a, a mirror in front of us and it's like, you're all bitter. And, you're, and all you see is you see them and you think it's a window and you're like, they're all bitter. And God's like, no, you're all bitter. Work on you. Yeah. And you're like, God, work on, I'm going to work on them. Because it's easier than working on yourself if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> so... There's this time that, that if you can get past this stage, maybe that's happened to you and maybe it's not coming back and maybe that relationship is not coming back. There's this time that, that God, maybe the next time around you'll get it right or maybe right now you're in the part three here right now and I'm speaking right to you. There's this thing called established that can, you can mature out of that stage into this place of establishing. Now, it's easy to have a sense of awe and wonder because when you're dating, you don't see the other person's flaws. You're so stupid when you're dating. I, I do like Simbas with, you know, people who are going to get married. I'm like, oh, you guys are all so stupid. Just like I was like, oh, well, we have a song. What's your song now? I don't know, Aaron, what's our song, baby? Do we got a song? I don't know. We got a song, but we're together. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we got through it. We got through part three. Barely. Whew. I'll tell you though, it's a sense of wonder. It's, it's easy to have a sense of wonder when you don't know the other person. And the trouble is you don't even know yourself yet. Because in part three, you start getting weird and bitter and twisted. And then you start giving into things like sin. And you start accepting things in your behavior that you never should. You start overlooking things in their behavior that you never should have because you're making a deal with you and you're making a deal with them because you just want to do what you want to do now and you just want to get yours. And then what happens is you get bitter and you get angry and sin starts to creep in. But to make it over this, this third hurdle and into the part where you're established or reestablished, where the wonder of the first part is, is reestablished, but it's so much deeper now after the failure after you got everything wrong, after they got everything wrong, after they know everything about you and you know everything about them, there's this, still this thing that God wants to mature your relationship into where it's like, we're both deeply flawed. The company is flawed and I'm flawed. But it's okay and it's a great career. But it's okay and it's a great marriage and it's going to work out. It's, I didn't get everything that I wanted and I'm never going to, but it's okay. 
God's got it and it's going to work out. And I'm not here for me anymore. I'm actually here for them. Established. This is the same thing that happens in your relationship with God. So if you're new and you're just exploring faith, this is how it's going to look. You're going to come in, you're going to explore, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, this is different. I don't have to earn God's love? No. In fact, you can't. You get into this thing and you're like, my sin's forgiven? Wow, he's going to help me with my addictions? Yeah. There's people who love and protect and, and give to me and are generous with me? Yeah. I don't deserve these. I don't even know these people. We're like, yeah. We're trying to be like Jesus. That's what he would do. People who are nothing like us ought to like us. <laughs> so just like Jesus. And so you're exploring faith and you're coming in. And then there's this weight of expectation. Then you get baptized and the devil's like, ooh, target practice. Oh, I'm going to start messing with their day. Because before that, he was just messing with you just for funsies. But now, now you're like, okay, now I'm publicly going with my faith. And I'm, I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. And the, the, I'm going to... Sh- shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and I'm going to take up the sword of the spirit. I'm going to go out and fight against the devil. Oh, target. Oh yeah, now you come on his radar. He didn't really care about you before. He could take you anytime he wanted, but now he goes after you and you start realizing there's expectation. What do you mean pass the offering plates around? You got to do the dishes. It's your family. Got to pay the bills. It's your family, right? Don't tell me you love if you don't give. We give because we love. Like there's no other... It's a currency of it's generosity of love. And so is that expectation. Then there's this expectation of like, you just can't use any old words that you want to. Pastor can hear you. <laughs> I work around tradespeople my whole life. So sometimes they're like, oh, you're a pastor? Oh, sorry for all the words that I just said. I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> when you come to church, you get baptized, and then God starts cleaning your life up. All of a sudden, what was okay 10 years ago is not okay. What was okay 10 minutes ago is not okay. And God is working on you, and he's got to get all this garbage out of you to make you healthy and clean. There's a sense of expectation that comes with it. And then it's like, oh, now i got to start being a leader in my home, man. Not just watch TV all day. Not just drink beer on the couch all day and eat chips. That's what you used to do. But now you got to lead your family in the ways of God. Now you got to have hard conversations with your kids because you care, and you ought to. Now you got to have conversations with your wife where you just don't give in to everything anymore, but you're like, actually, to honor God, I think that I have to disagree with you right now. Right? right? It changes. The expectation changes. And then what happens, and, and this can happen in a period of three months after you get baptized to like a 20 years. I don't know. It's somewhere in there for you. I've seen people at the two-year mark, at the eight-year mark, at the, I don't know, just it's all over the place in there. What happens is you come up into this place where you start, it's called the exchange. The wonder has worn off, and now you think that God needs you. That's why he saved you. When you forget that you needed God, that's why he saved you. It had nothing to do with you bringing something to the table. You start thinking that the gift that you bring, you start thinking that, like, I'm very forgiving. And God's like, no, I'm very forgiving, because you're a very big idiot. You're like, I'm having to forgive a lot in my marriage. And God's like, oh my goodness, how are we even having this conversation right now? And who are you talking to? Because that's not me. That's Frank and Jesus. It's just Frank and Jesus. It's not me. You start coming to church and you start acting like you bring more to the church family than it brings to you? What? It's like one of my kids is being like, I made dinner tonight. I bring more to this family. Why aren't you all doing more work? You're like, sweetie, you wouldn't be here without this family. Yeah. You, you wouldn't, you'd be starving on the no-born street 
You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't be here without the family of God. You wouldn't be here without the, the head of the, the body of the, of, the, of the church, Jesus laying his life down. None of us would be here without that. You, you, I mean, you're going to come, you're going to go, you're going to go to a different church. Like, look, you'll never bring more to your church family than it brings to you, ever. And you start getting this weird place in your heart, and you start coming in, then church starts being about you. And then you start shopping for churches. Y'all, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, by the way. Can I just be honest with you? You might be shopping for church right now in here. I'm just going to hurt your feelings and just get it over with because I love you. What are you shopping for churches for? All you're going to do is shop for a church that gives you what you want. God never asked me what family I was going to be born in. Right? If it's a family, it's a family. You're not dating. I didn't date my family before I was born into it. Feeling me? I was going to try this out for a bit. Mom like, no, you're not trying this out. No, my body. <laughs> uh-uh. You are here now and you belong to me. Do what I tell you. Take the dang garbage out. No, no. What, what God will do is he said, God's, it says God sets the solitary in families. God sets them there. Don't be church shopping for your wants. Ask God what you need. Because nobody who, who is, the Bible says, like, nobody who is used to the old wine prefers the new wine. Nobody. You come to a new church and it's like, oh, this is different. I was talking to some, some people, they're like, oh, it's different. I'm like, oh, we're different. We're different. But we're family. This might be exactly what you need. But what you want, you don't even know what's coming down. You don't even know what the devil has planned for you. But God has laid traps for the devil. And you, you got a church. You, you just got to, like, there's this thing that happens where you start getting, exchanging your expectations with God. And now you're checking over there and you put your box of dreams down by Jesus' feet. And you're like, well, you're not working on these at all. And he's like, well, this dream? That you just get rich and have a boat? Let me leave that by the garbage can. This dream here, you want a red car? My wife had three dreams. Can I make funny, baby? She had three dreams. She wanted, I can't remember the third. Oh, she wanted a king-size bed, which we have. Dream fulfilled, husband of the year. She wanted a Paul Reed Smith guitar, which I have, but I won't let her play. And then she, because <laughs> she scratches it when she plays. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> she can play it. Just kidding. Maybe. And she wanted a Harley Davidson motorcycle. And I'm like, you're not having a motorcycle and leaving me with a bunch of kids if you die. So like when the kids are gone, fine, you can get a motorcycle, but not until then, because I'm not raising these girls by myself. I don't know what to do. And so we leave these, these, this box at Jesus' feet, and then we come and check it, and we're like, you're not doing anything with these. And he's like, well, they're all about you. And we get bitter because he's not making our dreams come true. I wanted a husband who reads poetry to me every day, and he's like, have you met the male population? That's not what they do. They just hungry or want to make out. They're not complicated. You can use all of your brains for something else. You can read poetry, but they're just not going to get it. Some of them do. I love you guys. Thanks for making us all look bad. And this bitterness starts creeping in. And, and But there's this place that he could establish you to. Because now what happens is after all the grace and all the love of Christ, then you still find out that, you know what, you're still hiding sin. And there's still some of your pet things that you won't let go of. And you start hurting people. And people start hurting you. And you start reacting and responding very poorly to this thing. And it's only when your relationship with Christ gets past this self-centered, self-righteous deal, 
where you can actually progress into this establishment or a reestablishment of the wonder of it all. You were saved from, from your sin by grace of God here, and you're amazed by it. But what you didn't think you would do is, after all the grace and power of God, that you could still do it here. That you would still screw it up here. That you would still screw your family up here. And you have to get over how well you thought you were doing and get over how amazing you thought you were to get over to this place where God is still everything and God did start it all and God will finish it all. The Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. It's just not you. It's the grace of God. Watch what happens to Peter. He, he, he meets, this is the first time, one of the first times that he meets Jesus. And this is how it goes for you and, and for me and for Peter. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon or Simon Peter, his owner, to push it out into the water. It's like a dating relationship with Peter and Jesus right now. Just checking it out. He sat on the boat and taught the crowds from there. And he said to Simon, verse 4, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. You want to talk about wonder. This is where it all starts with you. You're like, he can do miracles. Watch. Master, we worked all hard all night and didn't catch a thing. Like I've spent my entire lifetime and I'm still not happy. I can't, I just, I'm such a failure and a loser. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Like, okay. I could try this. I've tried everything else, but I've, all my own effort has accomplished nothing. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And in verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. Catch this. This is his response and, and a natural response to Jesus when you first meet. And said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Let me just stop right there. I'm such a sinful man. I'm not bringing anything to this equation, but in part three, you think that you're bringing more than, more than your part to the equation. I'm such a sinful man, God. How do you, why do you even hang out with me? Why do you even want to marry me? Why do, you, why do you even want me in your classroom? Why do you even want me to work for this company? I'm not qualified. I don't have everything that I need. I'm just not who I need to be yet. It's just a state of wonder. You remember Jesus, uh, as their lives go on, Peter starts progressing into the expectation well now you got to feed the multitudes and and Peter now you're going to have to do this and and the expectation of their relationship starts coming on and then in in part three with the exchange because I'm just going to go straight to four in the scripture but the part three in the exchange if you grew up in Sunday school you know the story Jesus is in the garden and he's like um Peter and James and John can you guys come and pray with me for just one hour don't fall asleep like I'm gonna get killed here and I need some help I just need you to pray with me they kept falling asleep. They failed. <laughs> they're, they're in the last supper. And Jesus is like, everybody's going to betray me before the night is over, guys. And Peter's like, no. And then it says, Peter's like, no, even if all these other losers, which is what he's saying, if all these other idiots around the table, and I know some of them, and they're stupid. <laughs> this is when you start thinking you're a better Christian than somebody else. All these other guys, now they're going to do that. That's what they would do, but not me, Jesus. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Not me, Jesus. I got it together. Even if I have to die, I'm not going to betray you. Before the night is out, he has set, dropped a bunch of F-bombs. He's, he's, 
he's confronted by a servant girl who's like, I think you're from Galilee. I think you're one of this man's disciples. And he's like, F that, I'm not. I mean, like, that's what he's saying. Can I say that? Kids go to venue, kids. You should be there anyways. That's what he's like. It says he used a whole bunch of profanity, and he's like, he just, he's betrayed Jesus three times. And then it says that his eyes meet Jesus, and he realizes in part three of the exchange, his heart had gotten bitter and proud and self-righteous. And he still, after all the grace of Jesus and living with him for three years, he still managed to screw it all up. And then his eyes meet Jesus across the courtyard, and he goes out and he weeps. But this is, is where the relationship with Jesus might be different than what you've experienced in your past. Jesus rises from the dead, and, and the women see him at the tomb. And this is where we pick up our story now, because Simon Peter is in no man's land, like some of you are. You're in stage three, and you're thinking of quitting. You're in stage three, and you're just, you can't see a way out. It says, it says at, at the tomb, Jesus told, told them, go tell the disciples, and then, and then he said this, and Simon. Go tell the disciples and Peter, and Peter. I'm going to go and I'm going to meet him in Galilee. And somebody, the Holy Spirit just said that to you. Go tell all the guys that were never going to portray Jesus and Peter was going to be the special one. Go tell everybody, but tell Peter. I'll meet him in Galilee. Make sure you mention it to Peter. He needs it the most. You need it the most. It says, he appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, failure, failure. Nathaniel, another one. Sons of Zebedee, James and John, failure, failure. Everybody blew it. You know, Jesus was the only one who made it in the garden. Jesus was the only one who was crucified. It began with Jesus. It's going to end with Jesus. It says, uh, verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Heck with it. I used to know how to do this, and I'm going to go fishing. I quit. I'm waiting for Jesus. I don't know if we're cool or not, and I've blown it, and I'm just going to go fishing. At least I know I'm just going to leave church, and at least I'm just going to leave this relationship. At least I know what it was like before that. The trouble is there's no grace to go back. There's no grace for anything else but to move ahead. If Jesus calls you out on the water and you sink, at least you got out on the water. But that's where Jesus is. He's ahead. He's not behind. He says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. Be careful if you influence other people. Influence them forward, not backwards. It says they caught nothing all night. Doesn't that remind you of maybe the first time? They caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who or perceive who he was. He called out, fellows, <laughs> like, guys, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. <laughs> so here's Peter. These are not big boats. It's like, here's the right-hand side, and here's the left-hand side. All night, we got nothing. And this carpenter... I don't even know who that guy is. Who's that guy? Does anybody know that guy? Nobody knows that guy. Hey, guys, guys, throw it on the other side. <laughs> they're just so beaten and defeated, they're like, well, why not? You forget the wonder that saved you in the first place. You forget that God can do anything out of anything or out of nothing. You forget the same story that saved you. It's the same one that will save you now. The same Jesus. 
maybe the same miracle. He can do it. He can do anything. They couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, this is John. John, that's how he talks about himself. That's how Neela would talk about herself, the one that dad loves. I'm too humble to say Neela, but the one who dad loves. And it's me. He said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, listen to what he did. And this is, I hope you're humble enough to do this. He said, he threw on his tunic because he was all stripped down for work. And he jumped into the water and headed for shore. He's like, the heck with the fish. The heck with everything else but this thing. The heck with the, I got to, I got to get to, I got to see for myself. Is that, could it be? And he heads back to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and did the work. And Peter's like, the work doesn't matter anymore. Whether I get what I want here doesn't matter anymore because there's nothing for me in that life anymore. There's nothing there for me. There's only what's ahead and there's only him. And I don't know if he's going to call me back or not, but I'm going to try. When they got there, they found, and this is the funny part, is that you can come back to church after 20 years of doing your own thing, and there's, there's still breakfast waiting for you on the shore. There's still a meal prepared for you. I did all my work whether you were here or not. The Holy Spirit gave me the word for you, whether you were here or not. The meal is prepared for you. It will always be prepared for the one who's away. That's what we do. That's why we pay our tithes. That's why we fund it. Because the one who's here is, I'm sorry, more important than the one. The one who's not here is still the one who's more important to us. You're here. You're safe and sound. We're going to talk about it in heaven. That's great. You don't like the rap music in the, in the lobby space. I love you. We'll argue in heaven. It's going to be rap music in heaven. It's just going to be good stuff. I'm just telling you. But the one out there, Jesus is consumed with, and so are we. Just like we were consumed with you before we knew you. And somebody was consumed with me. And breakfast was ready. I'm just going to jump down here because he has this conversation. Jesus has this conversation with Peter, but I'm kind of running out of time. I don't want this to take very long. And Jesus has this conversation with Peter, and he's like, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yes. There's this interesting little Greek play in words here where Jesus is asking for more than Peter thinks he can give. And he's like, yes. And then Jesus is like, it's all about the sheep, Peter. you got to feed the sheep. And then he's like, he asks him again. And Peter's like, yes, I'm trying. Like, and he's, he asks him a third time, and Peter's like hurt because he's like, I'm saying yes, but deep down inside, I know I'm still going to screw it up. And I know that I'm going to betray you. And I know that in spite of all your grace and your mercy and the time you've spent with me, I'm still not going to be enough. And then Jesus says this to him. I tell you the truth in verse 18. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. Wasn't that the way it was in the world? You did what you liked. Got you nowhere, but you did what you liked. You dressed yourself Peter, and you went wherever you wanted to go, but when you are old, and this is the promise God would give to you, this is a weird little thing here, but just catch my heart, when you are, this is how I took it, when you are old, he says, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let, uh, to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God, then Jesus said, follow me. He was wondering if he was going to make it to the end with Christ. He didn't know what it was going to look like for him. His master had already been crucified. Church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified. But Peter doesn't know if he's actually going to get to this place where he could finally prove his love for God in the way that it was required of him. Now, that's not going to happen to you. Don't you think that your burden is lesser than what Peter is bearing right now? He knows what he's facing, and he knows he doesn't have the courage for it. Church tradition told us that he was so 
in a sense, outraged that they were going to crucify Peter, that what they, he, he begged them, he's like, crucify me upside down so that nobody will worship me because I'm not him. I'll never be him. I'm just honored that I get to like do this for him. It's a small thing, he would say. It's, I had nothing in this life and he brought me everything and I'm going to see him soon. I just don't let people look to me. Don't let people worship me. Just let it be about my master, Jesus. And Jesus is telling Peter and Jesus is telling you today that wonder is heavy and your failure is heavy. But you can actually be reestablished in your relationship after your failure. You can actually be restored in your relationship. You might not get everything back, but you can get everything back with God. He can restore you to himself after your failure. And the beauty about this tapestry is that it's all the richer for your failure anyways. He somehow redeems your life from every destruction. And it matters because the lower you went here is the higher his love had to reach down to get you. And it's enough for you. And it will always be enough for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that we would just trust you in the process and in the stage three that somebody here and somebody watching and somebody listening online is like, I'm in stage three right now. I'm getting bitter. I'm starting to think that I'm more than I am. And we're starting to get worried because if God, if suffering dropped on us or something horrible dropped on us, we don't know how we would respond. We would probably get angry at you, God, and you're the last person in the world we should get angry at. And we're just deeply insecure and proud. And I pray, Heavenly Father, today that we would leave this place and and enter into that mature, reestablished relationship with you where it's established on you and the forgiveness of sins and nobody else and nothing else. Only Jesus was crucified. Only Jesus rose again. You are the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between, God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.